Hey, good morning, Christ Community Church. My name is Robbie Baxter. I'm the assistant pastor here at Christ Community Church, and it's my privilege to be bringing to you this morning the Word. Uh, it's Christmas week, a time of great anticipation and, and celebration. And this morning, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 12. So if you would, be turning your Bibles to Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. And let's hear this, the Word of God, to us as people this morning. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for, for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, our key truth for this passage this morning is this. Jesus has come as the king of God's kingdom to bring redemption to all who repent and believe him. Jesus has come as the King of God's kingdom to bring redemption to all who repent and believe Him. Now, this raises a question for us. Uh, again, we just have one question for this passage this morning, but it's a good one for us to ponder this week, I think, in the lead up to Christmas. That's this. In what ways has the fact of Jesus' kingship changed the way you have thought about, spoken about, or planned for the events of this year? In what ways has the fact of Jesus' kingship changed the way you've thought about, spoken about, or planned for the events of this year? Now, as you think about that, uh, let's notice that as we come to the final weeks of Advent, we enter into this third chapter of Matthew, and maybe it seems like you, to you like a strange portion of Matthew's gospel to consider during the Christmas season. I mean, after all, it has to do with events that occur when Jesus has already grown up, as he's about to enter into his public ministry. And yet the teaching of this chapter has everything to do with the Christmas theme. And that theme is the hope-producing fact that our rescuing king has come into our world and changed everything about it. Now, that theme and this far-reaching fact is well captured by Matthew's summary of John the Baptist's teaching. John the Baptist came, and this is his teaching, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
Now, John the Baptist was sent as a herald of the coming Messiah, the one who was meant to prepare the way for King Jesus. He was, an, he was to announce that the King is coming soon and to prepare God's people to receive him. And through this message, he continues to act as a herald for us today, preparing us to recognize the King and the significance of all that he has come to do for us, his people. Now, Matthew describes this ministry of John in three parts. First, he describes it as a declaration that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's the, the basic summary of John the Baptist's teaching. It's the first part of his ministry. The second part is this. We need to prepare for this reality. So John the Baptist is announcing the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and then he's preparing us to receive this reality. And then finally, a huge and crucial part of John the Baptist's ministry is preparing us to recognize the way of the Lord, what that looks like and what that means for us as his people. So let's look at this a little bit in a little bit more detail. First of all, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, the first aspect of John the Baptist's ministry. We see this in verses 1 through 3. Now, as we've said, John came as a forerunner to Jesus, preparing the people of his day and through his words, our day as well, to recognize that the king has come into our world. Now, John's preaching was simple enough to summarize. Repent, because God's kingdom is at hand. It's arriving. It's coming soon. But this preaching contained a whole world of meaning and significance. And it was a perfect way to summarize the coming of the king because Jesus himself, the king himself, took up this proclamation as the starting point of his own ministry in Matthew chapter 4. Now, what does it mean for the kingdom of heaven to be at hand? Well, simply it means that all the promises that God's people have been waiting to see fulfilled, all the hopes they've been waiting upon, all the source of their safety and security is making its way into our world and our everyday experience. Now, perhaps kingdom talk seems a bit archaic to us. I mean, after all, we're modern democratic people, aren't we? But in fact, our desires are not very different from the desires of the people of John's day. All of us are looking for a king. Now, we might not put it in so many words, but that is ultimately what we are after. Somebody with a plan. Somebody to put things right. Somebody to bring justice and to make it last. Somebody to capture our hearts with a sense of authority and power and wonder. You, the history of the world, right down to the present day, is a history of searching for a king. And John's announcement is this, the king is coming. He's about to make his entrance into our lives and into our world, so get ready. That's the, the heart and the soul of John's ministry. Here's how Knox Chamberlain uh, puts it in his commentary on Matthew. He says this, in one sense, God's reign is both eternal and universal. Yet, God's laws are flagrantly disobeyed, and wickedness is rampant in the earth, as Matthew 2 has shown. John declares that God is about to make what is his by right altogether his in fact. In other words, John's prophecy is eschatological in character. The final reign of God is at the door. Now, we need to get ready to receive this, to recognize this, because our need for a king doesn't just stem from problems that are out there, external to us, but really in here, in our own hearts. We need a king like Jesus because the world is a mess, but it's a mess because we have made ourselves rebels against him. 
So John's announcement is joyful news. It's such really good news, but it's also very ser serious news. It calls for us to repent, to turn back from the way that we've been going and to start living in a different way. But notice that this repentance doesn't make possible the king's coming. John's announcement isn't, you need to repent so that the kingdom of heaven can come. Rather, he's saying, repent because the kingdom has come, because the king is at the door. So the entrance of Jesus into our world is meant to make a difference to our everyday lives, beginning even at this very moment. Now, what does that look like? We see this in the next piece of John's ministry. That's his ministry of preparation, prepare the way of the Lord. We see this in verses 4 through 10. The big difference, the entrance into our world of the long-awaited king, the big difference this makes to our lives is that we readily admit that we need him, that we need him. The people who heard the message of John the Baptist and received it with faith were marked, notice, by their confession of sin, their acknowledgement that sin is what stands between us and God, and their resolve to repent and to turn back from their sin. Their baptism signified not only their acknowledgement of their sin, but the need we all have to be washed clean of our sin. The king of God's kingdom is coming, and he's bringing his righteous rule to bear over every aspect of our lives, over the whole of creation, and we stand in need of cleansing. Now, the story is told, it's probably apocryphal, it means it probably didn't happen, but it's a nice story and it kind of sums up some of these things in a helpful way. The story is told that in the early 1900s um, in England, the Times of London, a newspaper there, sent out an invitation to a bunch of famous authors and essayists, and it asked them to submit articles in response to this prompt, this question, what's wrong with the world? So they sent out that invitation to many different authors, and uh, one of the authors that they sent it to was the essayist and Christian G.K. Chesterton. What's wrong with the world? And G.K. Chesterton replied with one single sentence, I am. We are, wrong with, we are what is wrong with the world, and our preparation to recognize our rescuing king, the one who has been sent to make things right, begins with the ready acknowledgement of this fact. That the big problems aren't just external, they're not just out there. The big problems begin in our own hearts and are falsely running after false idols and shadows that cannot satisfy. But next, notice, Matthew tells us of another group who came to hear John's preaching. And these were the religious leaders of Israel, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Now perhaps they came to hear John out of a sense of curiosity. Perhaps even they were willing to be baptized by him. But John recognized that what motivated them was not a sense of their need for redemption, but really self-satisfaction in their own worth and identity as children of Abraham. And John was very stern with these leaders. You brood of vipers, he told them. Who told you to flee from the wrath to come? Now, this stern rebuke stands against them and against all of us who are tempted to trust in our own moral efforts or in any identity that does not move us to grow in humble reliance upon God's grace to us in Jesus Christ. I mean, what a wonderful thing it is to be called a child of Abraham. If only the Sadducees and the Pharisees had recognized what that truly meant, to share in Abraham's faith. And because they didn't recognize that, they were in danger of missing the very thing their father Abraham and his descendants were promised and had long waited for, the rescuing king. So this is the difference 
the king, that King Jesus now makes to our lives. The inauguration of his rule helps us to see more clearly that the whole emphasis of his kingdom is upon the discipleship of his people. This is the fruit we are commanded to bear in keeping with repentance, discipleship, an ever-growing dependence upon King Jesus, an ever-growing faith in the perfect redemption he came to secure for his people, not trusting in our own moral efforts, not putting our identity in anything that doesn't lead us to grow in humble reliance upon his grace and upon his mercy. So you ask, what has God been doing in this very strange year? And our text answers with a single word, discipleship. What is God doing in the political realm these days? Ultimately, discipleship. What is God doing to help us to grow in recognizing the fact that our rescuing king has come and inaugurated God's rule in God's kingdom with his people? Discipleship. How are we going to grow in these things? Discipleship. This is the way in which we, pre we prepare our hearts to see, to, to grow in our capacity to recognize and to rejoice in the hope-filled reality that our rescuing king has come. Discipleship. I, I was really helped this week by John Calvin, uh, his explanation of these things. Here, here's how he puts it. This is very helpful, I think. He says, When we see that the whole sum of our salvation and every little bit of it are wrapped up in Christ, we must beware of trying to get the minutest particle from any other source. Since every kind of blessing is treasured up in him, we must draw our whole supply from him and none from anywhere else. Those who are not satisfied with him alone and entertain various hopes from others, even if they still look mainly to him, veer from the right path simply because their thoughts are elsewhere. This can never happen if we really know the abundance of his blessings. Oh, that we would be people who, in confident assurance that there are abundant blessings at Jesus' right hand, continue to grow and cultivate our discipleship as we seek to grow in rejoicing in the hopeful reality that our rescuing king has come. Now let's see the third part of John's ministry in verses 11 through 12, and this is his description of the way of the Lord. He's called us to recognize the king is at the door. He's called us to prepare for this reality by focusing and cultivating our, on our discipleship. And now he's going to describe for us the way of the Lord. What is the result of all of these things? This is the third and final part of his ministry. God's kingdom is different from the kingdoms of this world, and the king will be a different kind of king. What will he be like? Well, firstly, John emphasizes his greatness. King Jesus is so great that John wouldn't even dare to presume to carry his sandals. And that, by the way, was a task that was usually assigned to the lowest of the low of servants in, the, in that day. John wouldn't even dare to take up that task. And yet, this great king has come to give a baptism. Far from emphasizing his greatness, this king has come in humility and condescended to be a servant to his people. He is the one who carries our sandals for us, who comes to give us a baptism that draws us into the kind of life that he has with the Father. This great king has come to give us a baptism. Now, this is a baptism that's different from the baptism that John has been giving. It's a baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, this baptism of the Holy Spirit was prophesied in the Old Testament, and it indicated a time of spiritual renewal 
leading to a closer relationship with God and growing obedience to his word. So that is what John is pointing us to when he states, when he talks about this baptism by the Holy Spirit and fire. John is pointing us to that this, the fact that this king is not coming to merely give outward cleansing. He's not merely a king in the mold of Israel's previous kings, even the best of them, who could only change things on the outside. No, this king is going to affect genuine heart transformation, and he's going to do it by a baptism of the Holy Spirit. So the way of King Jesus is the way of heart transformation. And it is this heart transformation John is readying us to receive from our rescuing king. Now, his message is really aimed to prevent us from remaining among the many people who perceive Jesus as a rival and a threat, a threat to our own autonomy. For Jesus comes along with his claim to kingly authority and his mission to transform our hearts by his redemptive work and his outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And unless we're ready to, to, to receive him, we will regard that as a nuisance and an encumbrance. We will not be ready to realize that our king has come to be, in C.S. Lewis's great phrase, the transcendental interferer. We will resent that interference. And so John's message is a message of preparation to help us to recognize, no, this is the way of the king. His way is a way of heart transformation. And if we're ready to recognize him as such, we are ready to receive him as that rescuing king. But if not, we will find ourselves among the chaff that is eventually burned away. So these three threads of John's ministry, on the one hand, calling us to recognize that the king is at the door. We need to get ready. And calling us to recognize what that readiness looks like, preparing our hearts to receive him by focusing on discipleship, by recognizing that what we most stand in need of is not a king who can merely set the world right in an order, orderly fashion, in the mold of even the best kings of this world, but a king who, who comes to renew our hearts. And then a recognition that that is that heart's transformation that our King has come to effect in us for His glory. So here's the application of this text to us this Advent season. Let us apply it by returning to our original question. In what ways has the fact of Jesus' kingship changed the way you've thought about, spoken about, or planned for the events of this year? Oftentimes we can just settle for a very generic uh, bird's eye view of these things. We engage in discussions about things that are happening in the public sphere, and we, ex we express an opinion. And then over that opinion, we might say something like, well, at the end of the day, Jesus reigns and his kingdom is forever, and that's ultimately what matters most. Now, don't get me wrong. That, that is a wonderful truth. We should stand like a rock on a rock on that truth. But we need to be people who are growing in a deeper appreciation for these facts and the way that it comes and changes the way that we think about and talk about things in the public square the way that it changes the way that we think about and talk about our relationships with our families, the way that we think about and talk about our work, the opportunities that we have to engage our neighbors missionally, the opportunities that we have to serve the church and love the church, the way that we talk about these things with those who are around us and who know us best and, and who love us. In what ways is the gospel coming and particularly changing the way that we think about and talk about the great big issues of life? If we can't point to instances in this year in which we've been going one way and then the claims of the gospel and the great facts of Jesus' kingship have challenged us and changed us and moved us to change course, to change the way we talk about things and discuss them with others, 
then we need to re-examine, are we, are we growing in, our ever, uh, in an ever-growing dependence upon King Jesus, in an ever-growing recognition of all that the gospel means, particularly for us in our lives? Are we taking the great facts of redemption and applying them to the particulars of our lives? Let us be people in this Advent season who are marked in ever-growing degrees by a deep conviction that Jesus' kingdom has come with his advent into our world and that we're called to prepare for it by admitting that we need him in all the particulars of life and that his way is the way of genuine heart transformation by his redemptive work. This is who Jesus has come to be for us, his people, Jesus the King. So what does Matthew 3, 1 through 12 teach us? It teaches us simply this. Jesus has come as the King of God's kingdom to bring redemption to all who repent and believe him. Let's take this truth. Let's rejoice over it and apply it to our lives this season. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the gospel Lord, we thank you for the fact that Jesus is at the door, that he came to inaugurate his kingdom, your perfect rule in our everyday experience. Lord, we pray that we would heed uh, John the Baptist's message, his preparation for the way of the Lord. Lord, help us to recognize that we stand in need of genuine heart transformation, that this is what Jesus has come to do for us, his people. That the big problems in the world aren't problems that are merely external to us, but stem from our own hearts. Lord, help us to recognize that we stand in need of you and help us to cultivate in our discipleship an ever-growing dependence upon you for everything. And Lord, may that overflow in the way that we talk about and engage the big issues with our neighbors, in the way that we talk about and engage the small issues in our homes and with our families. Lord, help us to be people who are marked as Christians in the way that we think and talk about life so that you would get the glory in all that we do, that people would see that Jesus really is our King, and that we would get the benefit from living under his reign and rule. We ask it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.